I was thinking uh, just now as we were singing um, about the importance of that last song. I don't know if that song was helpful for you today. Uh, I have a shelter, and I, I want to tell some of, uh, some of our tricks here at Bear Valley Church. I want to let you behind the scenes. Uh, Zach and I and the rest of the staff have kind of identified that song as a helpful song for Bear Valley Church. And it, it may not be helpful for you today. It may not be something you, you feel great. Uh, your weeds are cut. The sun is out. Um, you have money in the bank and your kids are a blessing. Okay, and your wife and you are getting along, and so everything's great, and you don't think that through, but I, I, we want to sing that song every once in a while because that may not be true for the people sitting next to you, and it's a reminder, and, and we are not going through, we don't, we don't want to go through the motions here. We don't want to uh, sing uh, songs that we don't mean the words or, or sing songs that don't have meaning in the words. Uh, we want to uh, think about God and who He is and be reminded of that which is helpful for our soul today, today, and preparing us to be with Him forever. Um, so that was message number two. Um, turn in your Bibles to uh, Romans chapter 15, and we will continue our study in, in the book of Romans. Um, if somebody could find my Bible, I'd appreciate it. It's here at Bear Valley Church somewhere, and I left it in the fellowship hall, and I couldn't find it. And so I have one of these pew Bibles, but I also have uh, a pair of glasses as well, because these pew Bibles, I don't know who made these, but who can read them? Who can read them? Uh, we're in uh, chapter 15 uh, of the book of Romans, and uh, why don't we stand in honor of God's word, and I'd read this to you. Uh, I want to read to you verses 7, uh, Romans chapter 15, verse 7, and then down through verse 13. God's word says this, therefore welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. For I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs. And in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy, as it is written, therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing your name. And again it said, it is said, rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. Verse 11, and again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let all peoples extol him. And again, Isaiah says, the root of Jesse will come, even he who arises to rule the Gentiles, in him will the Gentiles hope. Verse 13, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. God, we ask your blessing on our time, and we ask that this would not be going through the motions, but that you'd encourage our hearts to walk faithfully with you today. I ask that you would draw others to know you. I pray that the words of hope, joy, and peace uh, would be attractive to us today. 
in the midst of the chaos of this world, but also the chaos of our own hearts. God, thank you for this time in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So, uh, so Rome, review for the 18th million time. Uh, Rome is a huge city at this time. It's a diverse city. It's a diverse city. People of ethnicities and different cities and backgrounds and ages and are amongst these million people, um, millions of people, most likely. You have a church, uh, I don't know if it's best to say a divided church or uh, a not homogenous church, that they come in with their, all their own ideas. And, and particularly, even in these passages, we're looking at Jews and Gentiles. And Jews and Gentiles, maybe even as some of the, the groups that we have today, were taught to think of the other as different, if not bad, if not bad. Um, and so you have a, a, a diverse church, but a divided church. I, 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 these just came to me. And, and maybe a discouraged church, maybe a discouraged church. When you think of living as a small group of people or feeling small in the midst of a huge city, a city of wickedness, uh, there's a sense of discouragement, like I, I'm walking with Christ, but the world outside is different. And sometimes that's discouraging. I think that some of us can relate to that right now, uh, where we're going, this is what I believe. This is what I think. This is who I'm following. And I look out in the world and it's not, you know, and I feel it pressing in. And so that can bring discouragement. And, and, but I couldn't figure out another D. So maybe the, the last one, I'll just say a confused church, a confused church. And when I, why I say confused is because of the teaching of the book of Romans and even confused about uh, the gospel, the gospel, not just the, the gospel message, but its implications, how bad we were in our sin, how, how wicked we were, how hopeless we were in our sin, and how uh, great and magnificent uh, the gospel has been to save us totally, uh, grant us forgiveness, and even that we would be called righteous, wild, wild. Through the justifying work of Christ, that we would be called righteous. And so this was written to this confused church. And this timeless teaching of the gospel for this church is so that it would be established and put together uh, into a church that's not, you don't look at it and you don't see its diversity or its division. You don't see it's, they're discouraged, but you see this uh, established church, an invincible church in this monstrous secular city, pagan city. And so uh, we're coming towards the end of the book of Romans, and he's tying up and, and reiterating some things, even as we have looked at this passage and this idea for the last few weeks in our study in the book of Romans. I want to give the end, uh, you know, I don't really wasn't in my notes to do so, but I, I, I feel compelled to do this. If you look at verse 13, it says, God of hope, may the God of hope, and then it says, Fill you with all joy and peace. Joy and peace. 
And don't those sound like great words? Don't those sound like great words? Joy, peace, hope. And you go, where can I get some of that? Where can I get some of that? And, and, and I can imagine the church at Rome being out in the big city of Rome. They were out at Home Depot or Albertsons or, of Rome. And uh, they were out there amongst the people. And they didn't see joy, hope, and peace. They didn't see it. And, and maybe in their own hearts, they didn't feel it. Maybe even as they went to church, they go, I don't see it here either. And so uh, God, Holy Spirit, inspired Paul to write to them where you can find hope, joy, and peace. And I, I can't not think this morning that, that some of you roll in with that same question. Where, where do I find it? Where do I find it? Where do I find hope, joy, and peace? Um, I think... I think you're going to see it in this passage. So I just wanted to give you the end and we'll get to there. Okay, we'll take it step by step. Verse 7. And uh, I, I want to just, verse 7 is kind of, I don't know if it does this in your Bible, in the, in the ESV that I use, it does this. It puts verse 7 with the previous passage. And I preached it last week. And I'll just re-preach it because some it, it kind of connects. The, those those separations in your Bible, those aren't inspired, okay? Those aren't inspired, and so uh, we read this as really one document, and it just kind of flows one to the other. But verse 7 ties up the previous thought, and it says this, uh, Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. For the glory of God. And I think of that verse, I, I don't know how I talked about it last week. That was last week. Um, and I, I think about a child, you know, I think about a two-year-old or a three-year-old. Some of you, your kids have done this, um, that, that they don't know. They, they, even as I shared with the kids, they don't know. They're, they're looking at things and they're getting, uh, you know, they're, they're kind of figuring out things and sometimes they get scared and sometimes they don't. And, but they don't know things. They don't know things. And, uh, you, you think about, it, often this has happened, and it, it's such a blessing to me. I'll see one of you, and you'll be excited to see me, and I'll be excited to see you, and we give each other a hug, and your, your child is right here, and, and they see you give me a hug, and they go, I'm going to give him a hug too. And they don't, you know, kids don't know anybody. You know why? Because it's all legs to them. You know, it's all legs to them. Kids get lost in the fellowship hall and they'll grab on someone's leg. Hey, you're not my dad. Get out of here. You know, um, but, but kids take their cues uh, from their parents or their father. And I think that verse 7 is all about us taking our cues from Christ. Who he has made a friend. Who he has forgiven of sins who he has brought into the, his own family, the family of his father, we should look at them and go, well, I don't know. If he said they're okay, I should think they're okay. If Christ has welcomed them, I should welcome them. 
And really, as we get into our passage this morning, if verse 7 is with our new passage or our old passage, I don't think it matters. But we see the plan for joy and hope for Jews. And then I would say, and for Gentiles. The, the plan for hope and joy, or joy and hope for Jews, but for Gentiles as well. And he says this, as a child should take your cue from your parents, uh, you should take your cue from what God has done in somebody else's life and realize it doesn't matter if they're a Jew or a Gentile. It, it doesn't even matter if they're a Republican or a Democrat. Probably all should be independents. But anyways, uh, um, sorry. What was I talking about again? Um, uh, what we get to is this, that it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. And when we welcome them, we do it for what? For the glory of God. For the glory of God. Why are we doing what we're doing? Why is it that we are living the way we're living? Why is it we're welcoming people as, for the glory of God? That God would be displayed as magnificent. Okay. Um, and so I, this is a fascinating passage that goes on here. And it, it, should, it was probably shocking, especially for the Jews in the church at Rome. It might have been for the Gentiles, too, in a different way. But we'll get there, okay? So the plan for joy and hope for the Jews, dot, 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 and highlighted for the Gentiles. And maybe even a question mark at the end there. Um, and this is what it says. Uh, verse 8. For I tell you uh, that Christ became a ser- servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs. Okay? And, and so far, so good. So far, so good. And, and this makes sense. It, kind of. Kind of it makes sense. It's still shocking. It's still shocking. That word servant uh, is the deacon word. The deacon word. And there's a couple different words for servant. But the, the deacon word is this amazing word that is a, a table server. It's the one who brings and takes care of another. And, and what it says is that Jesus, Jesus came as a servant. As a servant. Who, who did he serve? Who did he serve? It says to the circumcised, and the circumcised would be the, the Jews, but really highlighting the promise uh, that God made uh, with the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and I would even include Joseph slash Judah, okay? They're, I, I, anyways, we won't get it complicated, but from the line of Judah is where Christ came, and, and so you look to these first establishing heads of the family of God, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, okay? You look at them and he made promises to them. And when you see circumcised, that those part of those promises. And those promises that he was going to make them a special nation, that he was going to do some things for them, some specific things, and that they would be his object lesson of love, that, that he was going to pour out his love on them. They were going to be a special people. And so if you put this together, verse 8, Christ did what? He became a servant 
to this people. Why? Uh, to show God's truthfulness or to, to follow through on all those promises. And he quickly connects this truthfulness to what? To the promises made to the patriarchs. And so uh, as you look at this, the, those, what Christ did in serving, he confirmed the promises given to those men many years before. But this is where it gets blow your mind. I can't believe it. Verse 9. He says this, uh, he talked about Christ being this servant to the circumcised for God's truthfulness, uh, confirming the promises, verse 9, and in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. And, and what I want you to get, we'll see it clearer here in a moment, is what Paul is doing He's addressing the Jews and the Gentiles in the church at Rome. And he's saying, and you could hear this, you could hear this in his voice, in the words that he used, he's saying, Christ came to serve the Jews. And you could picture the Jews sitting, amen, amen. And them looking over at the Gentiles, amen. How come you're not amening? Jesus came, Christ came for the Jews. And as they would have heard that, the, the, the Jews would have been, I know, I know the Old Testament. I know what it says. And he's going to talk about the Old Testament some more. I know, I know. And then he got to verse 9. It wasn't verse 9 in their scroll writing letter. Um, but they got to verse 9. In order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. And as he they finish that reading of that line. The Gentiles go, amen. And they look over at the Jews and, did you hear that? Did you hear that? Did you hear that? Christ came for you so that I might glorify God for his mercy. Do you see how this is coming together? Christ was this servant deacon uh, for the truthfulness uh, of the Father's promises to the patriarchs. So that, so that, connecting to that the Gentiles might glorify God. And, and, and I want you to see this. If you think about the Old Testament, most of us quickly would say, oh, it's the history of the Jewish people, the Israelites. It's of God and his special people and him, you know, Genesis, you know, the creation of the world, but then getting to Abraham and choosing him to be a special nation and how that nation progressed and grew and changed places, went into the promised land and how they failed and God was patient with them. And, and all that was for God working in the Jews or the Israelites' lives, their, their history. It was God working in them. And Paul tells us, yeah, it was God working in them so that the rest of the world, the rest of the world might understand his mercy. So that the rest of the world would understand his mercy and not just understand it that they might say, oh, that's interesting, fascinating. I'll, I'll keep that fact away in case I ever, ever play Bible trivia. No is that they might know 
The mercy of God, born out in his son Jesus, bared out, fleshed out in his son Jesus, so that that mercy would go to the rest of the world as well. His beautiful mercy that was shown to his own people would be used as a picture to win the Gentiles also. And I would say for most of us, me and you also, right? Us not being part of the God's people um, through our, our family, through our heritage, through our upbringing. And so we move, uh, we move down to, in this passage, he goes on, and, and I can tell, you know, I, I can picture in my wife, in my life, not my wife, uh, in my mind, in my mind, I can picture why, why he did this. Because I, I can imagine some of, really this whole passage, because he, he was talking about the weak and the strong, the previous verses, but I, I can imagine those Jewish people saying, no way, no way. No way. And I can imagine the, the Gentiles in excitement saying, no way. No way. Is, is that true? And, and so he goes on to give the proof of hope for Gentiles. We see it in the uh, end or middle of verse 9 there. It says, in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. And he says, as it is written. Um, as it is written is one of those things that, that uh, we see in the scriptures kind of over and over again. And it's, it's a way to say, uh, the Bible says. The Bible says. And specifically for them, they're, they're experiencing the writing of scripture of the New Testament. It's come in letter form to them. But... When Paul writes, as it is written, he's pointing back, and especially for those Jews there, he's pointing back to what they would know, the Old Testament, as it is written, as it is written in God's word prior. So um, he says, as it is written, and, and I would just say this, in verse 9, it's example number one, it's example number one, and example number one comes to us from Psalm 18, uh, verse 49. Um, and there's a couple of different verses, but that, that's probably the one specifically that's mentioned here. And he says this, as it is written, and he gives a quote, he gives a quote. And um, Paul writes, therefore, I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. If you look back uh, at Psalm 18, David, uh, it's a Psalm of David, like many of them are. And, and David is uh, talking about the, the victory over his enemies, and specifically Saul, but also Saul and the nations, and the nations. And he's recounting victory over Saul, but then towards the end it goes to the nations. Who, who the nations are, are the Gentiles, the other nations. It's everybody else. There's God's people, the Jews, and then there's everybody else. Okay, and those are the Gentiles. And so what this says is this. David is writing in victory, in victory. He says, therefore, I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. So the picture, okay, picture, picture me as David. I like to think of myself as David. Say he was a good looking guy, 
you know, at least in his younger years, right? Uh, he's a good-looking guy. And, and he, he, he has a victory over Saul or the nations. Let's say the nations. He has a victory, captures, or, you know, he defends, or he progresses God's will, and he, he's successful. And the captured enemies or the defeated foes are around. And, and what does David do in their presence? In their presence. Says this, I will praise you among the Gentiles. I will sing to your name. And so what you picture is, is David, the victor, the winner, the winner, if you will, over this Gentile people, these people who don't know God. And David is singing praise to his God for the victory. Um. It's interesting in, in sports, this happens all the time. Uh, what happens, uh, uh, baseball is probably the worst. Um, Basketball is kind of that too, but baseball is the worst, especially if you're in the outfield, okay? There's a, a, a thing called a walk-off win, right? You know, it's a tight game. Maybe it's tied or they're one run down. There's a runner on, okay? And they're, you know, it's a tense game. They bring in their really good pitcher, the closer, he's probably a weird guy because closers are weird guys. And they're all excited because they're going to be able to, and, and, you know, there's all this tense and they, the pitcher gets back and he throws it. And there's that sound off the bat. And the pitcher hangs his head like this. And the outfielder just turns around, looks up, you know, it's over. And, and what do the players in the field do? They run to the dugout. They run to the dugout. Why? Well, the game's over. The game's over. And they don't want to see the other team celebrate. It's shame upon shame. So, so picture once again, David, the victor, probably uh, much more significant than a baseball game, much more significant than anything. He's in the presence of the POWs or the defeated foes, okay? And he says, in the midst of them, what will I do? I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. And so, so the Gentiles are, David is saying this. He, he's not saying, I whooped you. I've defeated you. I've conquered your king and you. He's saying, God has given me the victory. And, and, and what I want you to get here is this. In this first scripture that he's pointing back to, he says, I, I want the Gentiles to hear. I, I, I want the Gentiles to hear of the power of my God. And, and really, the, the testimony the testimony of, of God's goodness to, to David and his power in the victory over them. That the Gentiles would hear, and I would say it this way, that the losers would switch teams. That the losers would switch teams. And you think about how powerful that is, right? Most of us are very uh, connected to our country Right? We, we have this love of our country, and, and we would say, 
will never be defeated. Will never be defeated. Can you imagine being defeated and then being attracted to a new kingdom? That's what is written here. He says, as it is written. This is what he's talking about. Psalm 18. Example number two. It's in verse 10. He says, and again it said, and he's saying, he's, he's layering this, another passage, another part of Scripture. He says this, Rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. This is from Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 43. And it's once again God conquering, but now, what does it say? Rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. Who are his people? Israelites, the Jews, right? And, and, and there's this call to the Gentiles, to the nations, having been conquered, having lost, to do what? To join in. To join in. To rejoice. Can you imagine? And th- this has happened. This has happened. Uh, where you realize you're on the wrong team. You realize you're in the part of the wrong country. You realize the way of doing things is wrong that you're a part of, but you're a part of it. And you get conquered. But now you see the blessing of that and you rejoice with the people who conquered you. You rejoice with the, the new kingdom, the kingdom of a different king. A good king. Verse, that was example number two. Example number three, verse 11. So excited. This is so great. Uh, and again, layering once again, and again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and that all the peoples extol him. Psalm of praise, Psalm 117. And it no longer makes a distinction. It calls to the the Gentiles to praise him, but it says this, let all people, all people. It's that picture, Zach talked about it last week, of the choir, of this one voice coming together and no no distinctions of uh, the Jews are wearing this uniform and the Gentiles are wearing this uniform. And you can tell them apart because of the way they're dressing, but now it's the choir robes, right? Uh, we're going to get a Bear Valley Church school uniform that everyone's going to wear. And it's going to be exciting. Um, all going to be the same. Anyways, uh, but what you see here is from Psalms that, that there's a praising of the Lord. All the Gentiles, but that all people uh, would be lifting up the name of the Savior. Lifting up the name of our God. Last example, example four, comes from the book of Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 11, verse 10, and it says this, and again, uh, in, in Romans it says, again, and again, Isaiah says, the root of Jesse will come, even he who arises to rule the Gentiles, in him will the Gentiles hope. The root of Jesse. Jesse was the father of David, and different times in the scripture, it points back and defines Jesus as the one who is connected to Jesse 
Uh, and this whole idea of connected to David who came from Jesse, the root of Jesse. And it says that he will come. Isaiah looks forward to it. Uh, Paul looks back to it because Jesus has already come at the time of the writing of the book of Romans. He's, he looks back to it and he says, uh, the root of Jesse will come and he will arise to rule the Jews. The Jews. No. The Gentiles. This is so shocking. So because when you read the Old Testament, it's all about the Jews. And you say, well, if you do a cursory reading of the Old Testament and you miss God's hope and plan for the Gentiles, you miss these verses. And I think the, the church at Rome had missed these verses. And so as Paul's, you know, putting the nail in the coffin about this idea of strong and weak, we're all the same, there's mercy for all because of Jesus, he puts the nail in the coffin and he says, let me quote four scriptures from the Old Testament where it says that Gentiles uh, receive mercy and are included in salvation from the Old Testament. And so, as you look at this, he connects, uh, because Jesse being the father of David, Jesus being from the line of David, that Jesus was the Messiah in the Old Testament, which means Savior. And so, now, he, he did that. He, he arose to do what? To rule the Gentiles. And in him, the Gentiles will have hope. The Gentiles will have hope. And, and you can imagine this. So uh, Gentiles had all kinds of fake religions and trying to be no religion at all and like doing their own things, been driven by their passions and sex cults and all, all kinds of garbage. Kind of reminds me of today. And, and, and what happens when you sin <clears throat> leaves you hopeful, Right? with lots of pleasant thoughts the day after, right? And it, it makes you look at the world and go, man, it's so fun being a sinner in this world. No, there's this tragic deadness in your heart. It leaves you full of guilt. And, and no hope for the future because of the things you've done yesterday and the day before. And so uh, as they would have read this, they would have realized, they said, how is this all going to come together? Well, <clears throat> the root of Jesse will come and he will arise to what? Rule over the Gentiles, be the Lord over the Gentiles. And in him, in Jesus, will the Gentiles hope. Verse 13. And, and I, I would say it this way, that this is the prayer for Rome, or at least the church at Rome. This is the prayer for it. And we talked, we read this just briefly, but uh, this is the prayer that would come out of that church that was filled with Gentiles and Jews, people from all different ethnicities, from the cities around and backgrounds, some who had, uh, were self-righteous and others, others who were dirty, filthy because of the outward sins that they've committed. And 
he says this, this is the, because of this connection of the, the Jews, that they were the example so that the Gentiles might know and be included. Verse 13, he says this, this is his prayer for Rome. May the God of hope, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope, abound in hope. Um, I, I say this to those of you who are new all the time. I, if I find out that you're, you've moved in, I, I always want to say, hey, if, if you need something, call the church. And not just spiritual things, but like if you, if you need to know who helps you with this, you know. I, I probably know somebody. I've lived here a long time. And if you need... Uh, somewhat to know where to find this at, you know, I, I know some stuff and I know some people within the church and we have people in the church that are experts at different things and I can connect you most of the time with somebody. I, I want to help you. I want to help you. And, and you can imagine being in Rome and some of you complain about living in Tehachapi and shame on you. Shame on you. Um, because you, you say, when I, when I used to live in that God-forsaken city with no hope and no gospel and gangs and drugs that are coming up to Tehachapi, um, they had everything. They had everything. I could find anything. And, and oh, Tehachapi's such a small town. It doesn't have that many restaurants, you know. I used to, I can't go there anymore. And I can't find this. And I have to shop on Amazon and. Talk about godless. But anyways, um, the, the prayer that, that, that Paul had that God desired for the church at Rome was this. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace. You know why? Because you can't find that stuff in Rome. Can't find it. And, and if you're looking, looking... If you are looking, or anyone is looking, for hope, joy, and peace in a town, it's going to be frustrating. Yeah, this community might be better than that community, and there might be a better community out there somewhere where they align with your beliefs and you can carry as many guns as you want. But, but finding, finding that which calms your soul in the midst of a sinful world and even giving you joy and peace, can't find that anyplace else. It's only in God. It's only as you are designed to be with God and that Christ came that you might have life with the Father, sins forgiven, justification, righteousness that comes from Christ. That you may abound in hope. And, and, and he connects this, and he says, through believing. Believing's the, the key here. And he says, so that again, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, that you might have power to live, um, not just live, but that you might abound, be overflowing in hope, in a hopeless world. Three concluding truths I want to leave with you uh, this morning. First one is this. <clears throat> the Father's plan is for you. The Father's plan is for you to find joy, peace, and hope in Jesus. Jesus. 
the Father's plan for you. What happens when you're out of step with the plan of God? How does that work out? Your life is frustrating, okay? As you look at the scripture, what was the plan of God from the Old Testament to the New Testament? Is that he would send the Savior to save who? Jews and the Gentiles. I think that includes everybody, right? Jews and the Gentiles. So first thing I want you to concluding truth is this. That the Father's plan is for you to find joy, peace, and hope in Jesus. Second concluding thought. The Father's plan is for them, them, to find joy, peace, and hope in Jesus. When you look around and you see people that are different than you, they're not so different than you. They're not so different. Uh, given the same circumstances, they would be chasing after the things that don't matter just like you. And they probably are. And you probably were. So what is the plan for them, right? What is the plan for them? When you think of other people, you think of their family members, your, your uh, people you live around, the people you left in that other town, uh, what is the plan, the best plan for them? It's God's plan for them. What is it? The Father's plan is for salvation, that they would have salvation and find joy, peace, and hope in Jesus, in Jesus. And then lastly, I would say this, because I'm just repeating myself, that God's plan, the Father's plan, is Jesus and no one else, and no one else. Um. So often we look at, uh, I don't know, different things in life and we, we say, well, you know, I really hope this happens because it would change our world. I really hope this for them or this for me and then everything will be right and I can handle life and everything else. I want to say this. The Father's plan, he only had one plan. It was Jesus and him alone. Him alone. Father God, thank you for the plan of your son Jesus. Thank you for this amazing truth that you, you sent your son, not just to be the Messiah for your people, the Jews, that you sought out special, but that even your relationship with them was meant to include the whole world, the Gentiles, that we would find hope, joy, peace in Jesus. In Jesus. God, help us to do so. Help us to cling to him in the midst of an empty world. God, we thank you in his name. Amen.